Have either of you had the iced peach green tea lemonade from Starbucks? Because Starbucks running out of peach syrup was was the trauma of my summer. For Sadie, the bad part of the pandemic was, you know, we had to wait for a Dev Patel movie. And for me, it's that a global beverage conglomerate <laughs> ran out of like... Uh, artificial peach flavoring. Well, the beverage that I lost for a time was my beloved Cherry 7-Ups, but now I have moved to a place that seems to be well-stocked with Cherry 7-Up. With the global supply chain interrupted Cherry 7-Ups? It somehow, they weren't in Johnson City for months and months. And then briefly around my birthday last year, they were available again, which was great timing because my husband, my mother, and one of my friends all bought me multiple 12 packs of Cherry 7-Up cans as gifts. So I was stocked up then for a while, but it was gone again. It's been Just- gone for months again before before I moved. Just in case. <laughs> Damn. Not even online? Yes. <laughs> Your local supply chain? I didn't try to buy them online. I should have thought of that. I should have asked Jen, you fool. Like, advice from a Gen Zer about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept I kept going to the Kroger and being so sad. Justin went to the Food City for me once even. Nothing. Nowhere in town. It was sad. Anyway, so Samantha, I understand your pain a little bit about the Starbucks peach syrup. Yeah, yeah. I make it myself now, as I was telling you before recording, at great expense to myself because the only place that has peach is like the really fancy grocery store a few blocks away where it's like $3 for like a 16 ounce bottle of peach green tea. Um, So it's somehow more expensive than Starbucks, which is... Strange. <laughs> okay, so I was going to ask though, yourself, you were... <laughs> dare I oh, say, you, you Sadie, <laughs> you vastly <laughs> overestimate my like emotional energy for, for simple tasks. Because... Just throw in five or six tea bags <laughs> oh. into some cold water twelve hours overnight. If I, uh, do, I have to wash a pitcher. You know. If I have to wash a pitcher, I'm oh, out. Oh, <laughs> so that's the holdup why you don't mix both beverages together all at once or even yeah, in sequence. And that's instead just another you drink glass I have to wash. <laughs> I the bottles are their own mixing vessels. You know, I'm paying for that luxury. <laughs> this is a nightmare to listen to. I. <laughs> I have, I too Sadie, have been going I'm getting on. worried about Samantha's emotional state again. <laughs> uh, well, you're going to be worried for both of us because I myself have been going on my own Starbucks recreation journey. Um, as you both know, oh. or probably not, I, I'm one of the people that Starbucks is like, you in specificity, in specificity, love pumpkin stuff. So we're going to email you and tell you that pumpkin stuff is back. (laughs) And so the day that pumpkin stuff came back to Starbucks, I went and I got their sweet pumpkin cold brew, which is my favorite coffee flavored anything. I'm obsessed with it. And I went and got it with Elliot and we both took a sip and Elliot was like, we have to recreate this at home. We have to seize the means of production. And so what has transpired (laughs) is a nearly two week 
laborious journey into recreating the exact flavor of the sweet pumpkin cold brew. And I think we have it down. It does require a frother Uh because contrary to popular belief, many a recipe online will lie to you about this and say that it requires heavy whipping cream, but it does not. It requires half and half, no whipping cream to be had. And also they tell you that you should add pumpkin pie spice mix. Absolutely not. That's not what is in it. It is a little bit of clove and a little bit of cinnamon, just those two things, and then a heaping dollop of pumpkin puree itself. And you have to whip it up using a frother, and then you have to use cold brew with some maple syrup mixed in. You heard I was here picturing first. you with like actual pumpkins, <laughs> like uh, mashing them up and harvesting th- their guts for you your coffee creation. Did you buy a frother for this purpose? I did. I did. And I had to battle the wave of new college students at my one target. Our, my city has around 120,000 residents, and yet we only have one tiny little target. And so it was a nightmare. And I'm standing in the target alone because Elliot refuses to enter a target. So he was waiting outside for me. And I walked in and I found that. <laughs> Let's back up there. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Why why doesn't he go in targets? Um I have no well, I think that he um used to do Instacart orders there a lot, and so he considers it a place of work and not leisure. So he will not go there unless he has to. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was forced to go in there alone. And he must have sensed that I was near the point of desperation because I couldn't find it, because I looked at my phone and I just saw one text from him that said, I'll see 39, which is where the frother was. <laughs> and so I went to the frother and I picked it up. And as I'm picking it up and looking at it, you know, weighing the pros and cons of this frother as opposed to any other, this pack of three frat guys walk past me and they don't talk to me directly, but they say, oh, milk frother really loudly as they walk past me. And I was like, don't you talk to me about my milk frother. I'll kill you in the streets. (laughs) And then I stood there and and the frother at them (laughs) as a weapon. And I and I was trying to debate whether or not to get a coffee bean grinder, but I decided that I don't want an electronic bean grinder. I want to grind the beans myself by hand. So that's my next so investment. By the time you're done, it will take you four <laughs> hours to make this. Like with <laughs> a mortar and drink. pestle? Is well, that how you're going to well, grind you, the beans? Like, what? That's a good idea. I do have a mortar and pestle. I could do it myself. I was just going to get one online that's like a little Saving. grinding crank, but yeah. Oh, and you turn it like a monkey with an organ grinder? Yeah. <laughs> but the mortar and pestle thing, I will be trying homemade- how many homemade pumpkin cold brews would you have to make to recoup the cost of the frother? Have you gamed that out? I will tell you right now that a frother only cost me eight American doll hairs, which is much what? cheaper. <laughs> yes. 
And they're really great when you're making milkshakes, but you have to be careful. I'm not allowed to use the frother in my house very often because <laughs> I am apt to not keep it stuck far enough down in the glass or to attempt to remove it too soon while it is still spinning. And you don't want to do that. <laughs> All of these weird rules. Elliot can't step in Target. Jen can't use a milk frother. <laughs> Samantha can't wash a pitcher, so she has to mix her peach and green tea in chips. That's not a rule. That's just like like an emotional failing. It's just like a symptom (laughs) of ongoing, like, ennui. Um. (laughs) Wow, too. I know something that could cure your ennui, at least temporarily, which is discussing the movie. thrilling adrenaline action movie? So first, before we get to that, we need to shout out our beloved Sadie for her debut on Them this week. How would I Writing about the overwhelming thinness of the queer rom-com Renaissance, which you should all go Google up and read because it is magnificent. Please do. Sadie, want to give us the elevator pitch, the little sneak peek, the little preview? I would love to submit that and thank you, Jen, so much. I om- I keep saying Johnny almost. Johnny Culp, because that's where it's at. <laughs> I'm going to call you Swayze yeah. Collins at some point. <laughs> thank you. I might just call you Swayze Collins forever. Anyway, Swayze Collins, tell us about this magnificent article you have you have pinned. Yes. So basically, I'll just give you the quick question. Um, Essentially, it talks about how we do now occasionally see fat people, fat women specifically, in rom-coms occasionally, but they are bad. <laughs> like, I, there's no, there's no um, <laughs> way to, to soften the blow. They are bad, and it's bad representation, and it is not anything that I see myself in. And then on the flip side, we are also seeing a lot of queer rom-coms coming out. Well, not a lot, but much more than you would have a decade ago. And yet all of these people are like so perfect looking. They are very thin. They are mostly white. They are, they have no flaws whatsoever. Their hair is perfectly coiffed. They are a size two at most. And it is very frustrating for me as a fat queer person to not see myself in either of these representations because they are both not good in equal different ways. So essentially, I talk about that and how I want more for the queer community and for fat people and how we deserve more. And it's time. Rise up. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> this is a call Sadie to becomes arms. Bane on this podcast. <laughs> Make the rom-coms. <laughs> Make more of them. <laughs> Now, I could really get behind that being Bane's goal. <laughs> I feel like the Bane depiction of him in the fat Harley Quinn uh, animated series on HBO Max, I feel like that is his goal. Yeah, no, I, I, he's, he's very tender in that one. Doesn't he get mad at like his credit card and he shreds it up with his uh, like yeah. super juiced muscles? He's, he's such a cutie. <laughs> But yeah, go read Sadie's article on them.us. 
Um, it was edited by this real asshole. So props to Sadie for ramming it through that torturous process and, um, and share it with your friends because it's good. It's safe to say if you listen to this podcast, you will enjoy reading, reading that article. And Sadie, one of my favorite details from it was you were like, when there are like fat women in rom-coms today, it's like exclusively fantasy rom-coms, like I feel pretty or isn't it romantic, both of which feature their protagonists suffering a head trauma. It's like you have to get a concussion to find love if you're over a size six. I, when I was doing research for this essay, I had completely forgotten that that happened in Isn't It Romantic? And like the parallel was shocking to me. Like we've truly can't have a woman over a size 10 be featured in a rom-com without her experiencing like a brutal physical injury (laughs) that makes her delusional enough to think that she would deserve um, a happy, happily ever after. Infuriating. And now that brings us to Point Break. Infuriating. <laughs> a, seam- a seamless tradition, tr- transition. Really I'm natural sure segue. You could connect Point Break to literally any conversation ever. And we will. <laughs> it is the or text of American cinema, is it not? It's, uh, I don't know. I feel like every story is just point break, right? Like It really is. Like where would killing It Eve is the be seminal text. Point break? Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, Jen. Well, we've tipped our hand and said what movie we're going to do. <laughs> Jen, what what are we? What is oh, this madness? Oh. Well, well, well. We are You Should See the Other Guy. The podcast in which we watch a romantic movie such as Point Break and tell you why, who, ever, which character made the choice between romantic partners, an option, a veritable buffet of romantic partners in a film, and chose poorly and should have picked the proverbial other guy. I am Jennifer, or today, as Samantha has titled me, Johnny. (laughs) I am Samantha, immune to renaming because I am the host of our podcasting software. And I'm Swayze Collins. Nice to meet you. (laughs) I can wait for you to say, I'm Swayze. (laughs) I'm Swayze. And today we're talking about the 1991 action classic, the Catherine Bigelow directed Point Break. This is a Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Lori Petty, and Gary Busey joint. So (laughs) pleasures abound within it. And I have been tasked with telling you what happens in Point Break. Many of you will already know. And those of you who don't, pause right now, watch the movie, and come back. You'll be Keanu Reeves, seriously. (laughs) Keanu Reeves is an FBI agent, hotshot, fresh out of Quantico, real Jason Bourne in the making. He just like decimates the shit out of some paper targets in a shooting range in the pouring rain they apparently they couldn't reschedule that training they were like no (laughs) (laughs) there's a hurricane happening outside do it now but he gets he gets shipped out to la 
where he's partnered up, the, the guy from Scrubs partners him up with <laughs> Gary Busey, uh, a jaded... <laughs> Let's see. Interruption. First, the guy from Scrubs tells him that he is young, dumb, and full of cum, and then partners him up with Gary Busey. Which did cost me psychic damage. <laughs> Gary Busey is jaded. His name is Angelo Pappas. Uh, and Gary <laughs> Busey has been forever chasing a, a, a cadre of bank robbers called the ex-presidents who hold up banks in California wearing uh, rubber masks of like Reagan and Jimmy Carter and Richard Nixon. Um, they're famous uh, for being in and out in 90 seconds. They they don't go for the vault. They never go for the vault. That's important. Never. What do they not do? Go, go for, the, for vault. the vault. Never. <laughs> they only empty the cash drawers and, and they're out in 90 seconds. Never the so, vault. <laughs> uh, they never the vault. <laughs> what did we tell you, listeners? No, not the vault. 90 so, seconds. That's it. <laughs> The podcast never moves on from this point. Uh, so Utah and Papas um, investigate one such robbery. They go to invent. They get, they're tasked with going up to the burner car, which of course was ditched on Mulholland Drive, even though it's like probably like seven miles away from the bank that they robbed. Um, just because if you're in LA, you've got to you've got to shoot on Mulholland Drive. Otherwise, how do we know you're in LA? Um, and Papa's is like, give it up, Utah. Like we'll never find them. I have no idea who they are. And Utah gets Papa's angry, tries to shake him out of being jaded. At which point, Papa's reveals, um, "Hey, actually, I do have a compelling bit of physical evidence uh, that I've just like never." pursued um i found carnauba wax on the counters which indicates that they might be surfers who are holding up banks for quick cash as they chase the surf um up and down the coast of course so this <laughs> as one does of course it's surfers i can't believe they have some the really first thing they thought of imbeciles <laughs> I love also in this scene, I don't know why it struck me so particularly on this watch when it never has before, that when they are discussing this, Pappas and Johnny Utah are surrounded by like 17 empty Corona bottles and Keanu Reeves is like directly like swigging Jack Daniels while they're in their FBI office. So anyway... <laughs> Yeah, maybe the alcohol explains the surfer theory, except it turns out to be spot on, dot, dot, dot. So um, Utah, Keanu Reeves, um, is tasked by Papas with going undercover as a surfer. <laughs> uh, classic cinematic pre uh, 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 premise. Uh, the guy from Scrubs is not happy about this. But I guess kind of turns the other way and lets them do it he for just, a little he while. He has no power over Papas somehow. <laughs> I mean, he does. So Keanu, but he <laughs> Keanu Reeves' stunt double goes out into the water to surf, um, almost drowns. Enter Lori Petty. 
um, the waitress and experienced surfer who rescues him and um, reluctantly agrees to teach him how to surf after he makes up a story about both of his parents dying to <laughs> relate to her. This was a tough scene because <laughs> like they look they look her up on the FBI computer and they're trying to find some way in and then Keanu Reeves is like, yes, both her parents are dead. Awesome. That's my way in. <laughs> this scene, like, like wow. the contestants on the next season of F-Boy Island really should watch this and study Keanu Reeves' delivery because he <laughs> nails it. Like the, <laughs> the F-Boy like worming his way into her confidence somehow. I mean, it probably doesn't hurt that he looks like Keanu Reeves and he is making sustained direct eye contact. I think is key. But anyway, that was pretty fucked up of him. Yeah. So um, Lori Petty is like, fine, I'll teach you how to surf. I guess her name is Tyler. Yes. Tyler Endicott. The, uh, says Tyler and Endicott. And um, wow. Yeah. Like the other famous movie Tyler besides Tyler Durden. The screenwriter <laughs> for this had some fucking guts okay. naming these characters. The Johnny Utah and Tyler Endicott. <laughs> Guys, I also am going to interrupt here to say that this screenwriter, I was so amazed at the masterpiece that is this movie. I looked up this this person. His name is W. Peter Iliff, I guess. Iliff, Iliff, I-L-I-F-F. And this was the second screenplay he ever wrote, and he was apparently only paid $6,000 for it. Dang. Damn. That's sad. <laughs> Did and he go on to rob some banks? What it because is. he should Damn. have. <laughs> I also saw that the word fuck is said 105 times in this movie. Again, a mark oh, of that, great screenwriting. Yeah. Uh, it's like successions, a season one crammed into. He tossed out that uh, young, dumb, and full of cum line. He came up with that. I was on the force when you were still jerking it to the laundry section of the Sears catalog. And he only got paid $6,000. Like, damn, that is a crime. (laughs) I hope this man has been properly compensated since. Gems, gold. Um, So Tyler, through Tyler, Johnny Utah meets... This the most important character of the movie, Bodie, Patrick Swayze, something of a, a surfer guru who um slash cult leader who's got like a little like guy gang of uh of surfer acolytes who follow him around, Roach, Gromit, and Nathaniel, and Patrick Swayze is all about the zen life he just wants to feel the motion of the wave like it's surfing for him is a spiritual experience not a sport um and they're like what are you doing tyler hanging out with this like fresh-faced uh punk from from idaho or ohio or wherever or utah um but then bodie is Yeah. Canonically, it is Ohio, which is a little surprising given his last name. My own, but Bodie is like, "Hey, I, you're oh, well, you're <laughs> my own private Johnny Utah." <laughs> but Bodie takes a liking to him because he recognizes him from college football and like helps him learn how to surf and and stuff. Um, also, around this time, Johnny Utah, while trying to learn how to surf and scouting out beaches that they have more chemical evidence for, almost gets beaten up by, well, gets uh, gets beaten up by, but then single-handedly defeats, well, double-handedly <laughs> defeats with Bodhi, a gang of white supremacists. 
um, yeah. who would try to rough him up with the surfers, outdoor shower. Named like Warchild, Tone, and Bumper. And one of them is Anthony yeah. Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So state of play as it stands, uh, Tyler's getting more into, or uh, Johnny Utah's getting more into surfing. He's getting more into Tyler and he's kind of buddying up with Bodie. But he thinks, oh, the robbers are clearly these like Nazi assholes who are hanging out at the beach that like had the chemicals from the bank counter in it. So they order an FBI raid on their house with apparently like only that is evidence. I mean, I'm wondering how they got a warrant for for that, to be honest. I have some procedural like CSI questions about all this. Um Anyway, uh, Johnny Utah sleeps with Tyler and then wakes up late for the FBI raid, which turns into a whole fiasco because there's a lawnmower that like uh, cuts out the, the walkie-talkie chatter. People get shot. A lot of people die. Uh, and it turns out that the Nazis, there was like a cop embedded with them undercover who was like trying to find their supplier. And he's like, you fucked up my whole operation. And also they weren't even in town on the day of the bank robbery. You messed up. You're dumb. <laughs> yeah, there uh, was scrubs like guy no cross talk about this <clears throat> like whatsoever prior to the raid. We're all just grateful that Keanu Reeves' beautiful face did not get mangled on the lawnmower. But Johnny Utah unbothered. He just wants to keep surfing, brah. Like, <laughs> he got some people shot and killed, but, like, whatever. Just, like, feel the motion of the water. And But the very next day, he's he's examining Bodie and the group, and he's like, wait, <laughs> these might be the ex-presidents. This highly organized group of charismatic uh, surfers who appear to have, like, endless money and free time. Maybe these people have robbed some banks in their day. Maybe they're the exact number of the robbers. One of them has a penchant (laughs) for mooning security cameras and his fellow surfers. (laughs) I mean, the pieces are all falling (laughs) into place. (laughs) So Johnny Utah gets some inside track on where like Bodie and everyone else are going to hit up. It's a bank. Uh, Johnny Utah and Papa stake it out. And while Utah is getting two meatball sandwiches <laughs> for Papa's, which like, and, like a- came out in record time, <laughs> they came out in like five seconds. Um, the bank robbery starts to happen. A A car chase and then a foot chase ensues. And then and perhaps the most memorable, popular, oft-parodied scene of Point Break. Uh, Reagan, a.k.a. Bodie, is on the fence, about to escape in the L.A. River. Johnny Utah has a clear shot. They lock eyes, and Johnny Utah can't bring himself to shoot his friend. And then... But instead... (laughs) Take it away. He, like, gun orgasms into the air. Like... (laughs) uncontrollably <laughs> rolls over and yells and just starts sort of like crotch level firing off all his rounds up into the sky whilst Bodie in the Reagan mask looks on and then escapes. Yeah. <laughs> the sexual imagery is just like, it's so rich in this movie. Uh, I mean, we can 
basically ignore the fact that Johnny Utah sleeps with Tyler because like the the Look, homo like sociality Tyler is, is so just powerful. there because yeah, like she had to be, I guess, by like heterosexual movie laws of the early nineties. But it is made very clear that Tyler was formerly with Bodie. So like she is the means by which they have touched each other's penises. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. The glue that holds uh the glue that holds their genitals together, you know? Um do they take him skydiving next? Yes, because Bodie has has made him now. He knows that Johnny Utah is a federal agent, but Johnny still somehow doesn't realize that that was Bodie in the Reagan mask or that Bodie's onto him or yeah, they show him up and basically kidnap him to go skydiving. And he thinks obviously that they're, you know, trying to kill him, that they've tampered with his parachute, but instead take it away, Samantha. Instead, they, instead it's like the time of his life. Uh, He gets just a mega rush from skydiving, which, you know, in the movie's terms is Keanu Reeves standing in a sound booth going like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Feel the fucking rush, man. Um, I think Swayze did a lot of the actual skydiving, but Keanu Reeves is very clearly a stunt double and like almost um, anything dangerous in this movie, (laughs) I think. Uh, Jen will know more. Uh, anyway, they get to the ground and immediately conscript um, Johnny Utah into doing the ex-president's last heist of the season by showing him a video of Tyler uh, gagged and held hostage somewhere far away. And uh, guy named Bodie Rosie. needs to get there to stop it. <laughs> so they uh, rob the bank and... They should go in and out in 90 seconds. They really should go in and out in 90 seconds. They never hit the vault. They (laughs) never hit the vault. Jen, this time they go for the vault. I'm really sorry to tell you that they go for the vault. Spur of the moment, they go for the vault. One of them says it's a bad idea. And indeed, it is a bad idea to go for the vault. So, uh, like a cop and a security guard end up getting shot. Um, also, I think like one of Gromit the, goes uh, down. Gromit, the one of the little grubs, and uh, Utah gets knocked unconscious, only to wake up and and get arrested by the man from Scrubs. <laughs> um, and Papa's is like, "Let me take him in, boss." And man from Scrubs is like, "Oh yeah, sure, that makes sense." The person who's gone along with this entire hairbrained scheme. <laughs> Like, why don't, why don't you take him in your car? Completely unescorted. So Papa's breaks Utah out of the handcuffs and they go to the airport to intercept Bodie. Um, and then that's a clusterfuck too. Every time there's like a plan, it just ends in like a million people getting shot like, to death. So well, that was about to say much like plans in real life, but then you wrap that up with a million people end up getting shot to death, which actually in the United <laughs> States, like, fair like yeah pretty much every time there's a plan yeah (laughs) so gary Busey dies uh one of the other little gremlins dies a moment of silence please Um, for mr poppins (laughs) (laughs) i hope he enjoyed those meatball subs before he was so cruelly taken from us what were gary Busey's last words in this movie damn what was it it was something stupid (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
I can I can see it in my head. <laughs> I remember that what Roach's last words were because before he skydives with a fatal gunshot wound out of the airplane in the next few moments of the movie, instead of speaking to Bodie, his like friend and leader, he says, "See you in hell, Johnny." To Johnny Utah. So presumably those were his last words. <laughs> So Roach is seriously injured, um, and Utah, just like Epper the hostage, gets taken captive again onto the airplane. We're going to go skydiving again, everybody. It starts all over. So they get to Mexico, and Johnny is like, you know, release Tyler. Like, you've you've got to let her go. This was the deal. And uh, Swayze isn't going to do it. Does he make the call then? Or is it only after they get to the only ground? Only after they get to the ground. Because yeah. whenever Bodhi is challenged directly by Johnny Utah, like wanting him to do anything, he has to stub up about it. And neither of them, like the first time they skydive, neither of them wants to be the one to pull the cord first, you know? So this time, everybody goes out the plane Roach is going to be dead by the time they hit the ground because he's already losing blood. This was one of my favorite lines of dialogue, actually, was Utah being like, you're cold because all your blood is leaving your body or something. There was something about him (laughs) clinically explaining that to him that was heartbreaking in that moment. But then you've got to think about earlier in the movie, Bodie saying, it's never a tragedy to die doing what you love. And presumably Roach did enjoy skydiving. So how nice for him. (laughs) That he went out doing that rather than on the plane. <laughs> Jen, are you are you a follower of the philosophy of Bodhi? Are you? Uh, I mean, are you a member of the Church of Swayze? He is a compelling figure. <laughs> I will say that, but I'd say if I had to pick Compels a Swayze character though. at whose whose philosophy I I adhere to slash worship, it would have to be Dalton from Roadhouse. We'll get All into right. that more later. Future film. <laughs> So everybody jumps out of the plane, but Utah doesn't have a parachute. And he's like, oh, no. And he jumps out of the plane himself. No parachute. Ends up Just like, like uh, homoerotically. towards like, Swayze, like through the sky. Yeah. Which apparently. Intertwines himself with Swayze Was in on an episode of Mythbusters that it would apparently be possible to catch up with someone who had a 15 second head start on you if you like just made yourself into a javelin of the air and somehow aimed directly towards them. And uh- more innocent times <laughs> when we could test things like this. And that was television, you know? So uh, they're like, they're like they're, monkeys hugged up together. They're making love in the sky um and utah is like pull the shoot and bodie's like no you pull it because utah will have to drop the gun um that he's holding to pull the shoot anyway um they one of them or the other finally pulls the shoot and they they fight on the ground it um, was it was johnny and- utah because bodie's like he was like the only way like I'm going to pull it as if I blow your brains out. And then I pull the chute and Bodhi's like, do it, man, do it. And then they're like (laughs) clinging to each other and like falling for like an improbably long time through the sky while they yell about this. And then of course, like, you know, locked in an embrace with him, looking into his eyes, like with his breath on his face, Johnny Utah cannot bring himself to shoot Bodhi. So he throws the gun away and pulls the chute. They fight Johnny Utah's uh, uh, bum knee gets uh, like uh, 
beaten up again. Bodhi escapes to the getaway vehicle, lets Tyler go. Uh, Tyler and Johnny are left together. And is this the end of the movie? No. Nine months later, at a beach in Australia that Bodhi once mentioned, where there was rumored to be a, a record-breaking swell every 50 years, there's a huge storm. Everyone's running away from the beach. But Keanu Reeves is walking toward it. Ooh, Ooh powerful. <laughs> Can I quickly And who is standing there? And say... <laughs> And say that nine months is such a very specific amount of time that is usually only referenced for one thing. And so when (laughs) it when when it's revealed like nine months, my first thought is always I'm like he's pregnant. (laughs) I'm like no no no. He's gonna be like that's not what's happening. You can't kill me, Utah. I'm carrying your baby. Yeah. And that's the end. <laughs> Please, uh, yeah. <laughs> their, the, their love has fully gestated by now, you yes. know? Um, it, it, which, so Utah walks up to Bodie and is like, I tried to find you in Mexico. I tried to find you in Fiji. Like, apparently after all of his fuck-ups, he's still an FBI agent. Or maybe he's just gone rogue or something. But they fight in the water um we think that utah has lost again like he loses every time but no he handcuffed himself to bodhi and bodhi is sitting there like a dog looking at a bone looking out at the ocean being like come on man you gotta let me surf it one more time i'm surrounded by cops at this point where can i go like let me do it and in a final like tribute slash capitulation to Bodhi's philosophy. Uh, Utah lets Bodhi go, and Bodhi goes out to the sea and surfs to his death, and Johnny Utah throws his FBI badge into the stormy sea. The end. Point break. Point break. What a movie. (laughs) Sadie, was this your first point break experience? I have seen point break before, but... It didn't really hit. I mean, I saw, I've seen it years ago. And so seeing it now with my 2021 eyes, I, <laughs> at the end of it, I was like, well, Point Break is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's what my 2021 eyes said as well, Sadie. It really is a great one. And like so many movies are like kind of just trying to be this. Like, like, I, I like Fight Fight Club is just Point Break. The Fast and the know? Furious like, would never have existed without Point Break. It's like the same plot, but with cars and Vin and, Diesel. And can I say, I think what makes this movie so special is that it ultimately isn't even about the gang or anything. It's about this like back and forth, really complicated relationship that grows between Johnny and Bodhi, i.e. Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. That is so, it's so good. It's so good. It can, like, I want to read a dissertation about this movie, honestly. It's like, it could be read on so many, de- I mean, it's like the stupidest fucking plot of all time, but you could really st- study it 
like allegorically on an academic level about like what it says about men and masculinity and and compulsory heterosexuality and working within the system of capitalism and law enforcement versus you know this anarchy and adherence to nature or whatever that Bodhi ascribes to and the two lead actors are just so perfect and Gary Busey is just so perfect and Catherine Bigelow just absolutely fucking smashed this one out of the park. I just, even with the the fantastic performances of the actors, I think we got to hand it to, to Catherine here because if this had been, if like a man had directed this, I hesitate to, oh, yeah. I, I, I do not think that it would have been the same movie. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't have been as homoerotic as... Uh... <laughs> And it's so, I think that like, and I'm not sure really who to credit that to because this, this beautiful genius who wrote the, the screenplay, I'm not certain if all of the incredibly, like every other line is a sexual innuendo or a reference to male genital, you know, like cis male genitalia or, uh, you know, it, it's all about them, like talking about jerking each other off, like constantly. And I wonder if like it was intended that way in the original script or if this is just like what the dude thought was like what like outlaw dude bros how they talk to each other but also how like the literal fbi agent fbi agent dude bros talk to each other but like the way that it's all delivered in Catherine bigelow's hands like this movie could turn into a porn at like any second and it would not be surprising at all yeah it like the homoeroticism is often at like like a visual level, you know, like so many action movies, like directed by men targeted at like a male audience are like, look at how cool these guys are, you could be them, like you could be this cool, you know, like anything with Vin Diesel or Jason Statham in it is or who the fuck ever is that. And it the camera doesn't really look at them like they're like sex objects, more like they're kind of like aspirational molds that that you too could achieve if you wake up at 4 a.m. every day and and only drink disgusting protein powder <laughs> like Mark Wahlberg does. Um, but like Point Break, like it it has like a delicacy to how it looks. It Reeves and Swayze, like it looks at them with sensitivity and care. It's always getting them wet, um, even in the target <laughs> I kept practice seeing, scene. Well, I was I read all this stuff about Point Break after I finished watching it this morning because I just couldn't I couldn't stop consuming Point Break stuff. And in so many places, it was referred to as quote a wet western. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And mm. and there are so many times where the camera is just like looking at Patrick Swayze in particular with this like, God, isn't he so fucking pretty kind of like vibes, specifically like the actual um, skydiving sequences where like Swayze himself is like um, is shot. The camera is just like has this clear like lust for him of like, look at this beautiful like magical spirit that I I am watching like skydive over yes. over the western wilderness. Um, God, it's so good. And Patrick, I just and again particularly to shout out. Just you go first. Well, I was going to say particularly the end scene 
is so sexually charged. Like you have Keanu, his hair is now a little grown out, kind of mirroring Bodhi's. And now Bodhi has short hair mirroring Johnny's. And it's so like the storm is coming. It's so powerful. It's so like they both know what's happening. They've both been waiting for this moment. And I was like, fuck, this is so good. Damn it. (laughs) Oh, yes. And God, when they're, because you think that like Bodhi, he makes a point and because of Patrick Swayze, you believe him that he doesn't like violence. He doesn't want to kill people. You know, he wants to rob the banks. Sure. But he doesn't want to hurt or kill anyone. And you know, he doesn't want to kill Keanu Reeves, who obviously doesn't want to kill him either. But they are really going for it in this fight in the ocean, getting all wet. And then he's like, holding Keanu down under the water. And that is how Johnny Utah is able to slip the cuff on him. And then they're cuffed together and just, oh my God, it's incredible. But again, it works so well because there was some really good writing on this actually because the 30th anniversary of this movie was just like this July. And uh, Sarah, the, um, the one, the writer on Laney Gossip who focuses on movie reviews and stuff did like a week of, Point Break week where uh, she and I actually have this one pulled up right now where she wrote about Point Break as a feminine perspective on toxic masculinity and it's just so fucking good and she was pointing out that neither now of course we know Keanu Reeves is a major action hero um, Swayze also did several major action roles but in 1991 at this time this they would not perhaps be who you would have expected to be cast in this movie. And it works so well because it is a movie about masculinity, but then you've got kind of the alpha male of it all. Swayze is that this dude was a professional ballet dancer, you know, who was also this like very muscular man, you know, but he, he doesn't have, he doesn't look like somebody who gets his muscles from juicing and lifting weights in a gym, you know? Mm -hmm. And Keanu is like 26 at this point. And he is just so pretty. Like his skin just glows. Like he has a subtle filter on him at all times. Like, honestly, I feel a little bad for Laurie Petty is very beautiful and has like the most enormous blue Paul Walker eyes that have ever existed, save Paul Walker. But like, I feel bad for her having to stand next to the two of them all the time because they are gorgeous. Yeah. God, a visual feast. Uh, Who am I, Peter Travers? (laughs) Anyway. So, okay. I have something to say that goes beyond Point Break and is a larger discussion piece before we get into other guy situations. May I speak? Please, Sadie. Hit us. So... Earlier today, I messaged Samantha and Jen, and I said that we should do Lost Boys on the podcast. And this is not just born out of nothing, but I actually want to make some larger comparisons between the two. Um, So if anyone, I'm sure that a lot of people have seen Lost Boys. It's a 1987 movie um, directed by Joel Schumacher, and it's a vampire flick about... This guy, Michael, who is kind of this fresh-faced guy, new to, was it like Santa Monica, whatever. Um, And he gets entangled in this gang of vampire bros. Um, 
And this movie, Point Break, reminded me so much of the homoerotic tension that is also present in Lost Boys. I feel like the late 80s, yes. early 90s was really into like deeply romantic relationships between a bad guy and a good guy. And usually they have like a morally ambiguous woman kind of caught in the middle that have direct relationships to both men and kind of act as a conduit for the much more intense sexual tension between the two men. And that is present in both of these movies. I just find that endlessly fascinating that, you know, and I don't think that it is any like, well, maybe mistake is not the right word, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Point Break is directed by a woman and then Lost Boys is directed by Joel Schumacher who is a queer man and it's so apparent to me like in both of these movies they just spend a lot of time like gazing at the villain because you are Keanu Reeves you are the human Michael in Lost Boys and you are gazing at this very seductive villain because like that like Patrick Swayze is kind of this like seductive magnetic figure that like has an otherworldliness to him that Keanu is like drawn to despite himself. Um, yeah. And in, in both of these examples, like um, homosexuality uh, takes the form of like a third thing, whether it's like surfing or vampirism, like you have to have some, yeah. some like unspoken, like layer of yeah. like something. That and they, whichever like, character is kind of, the, the villain character is the one who is more comfortable with the queer coding or with living outside of the like accepted, you know, like social pattern that they're supposed to to hew to. Yeah. And like in both cases, the villain dies, like that 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 uh tempting otherworldly villain dies at the end, but the main character is less straight than they were before. Like you see now that John <laughs> And he has the longer hair and he's no longer a cop and he surfs every day and he's kind of taken up a lot of Bodhi's uh, philosophies for himself. And the same is true for the Lost Boys. Yeah. Like, clearly, Johnny Utah, like, he's he's like hugging and kissing Tyler there at the end, which, again, is sort of a release of what you expected. That was, like, the most post-coital when Bodie and Johnny are trying to get themselves untangled from the parachute yeah. where they both landed together holding on to each other. <laughs> and so Tyler kind of slips in, like literally wearing like a little nighty at that point to sort of but as soak up as that tension. But then he's looking yeah, he's looking at, at Bodie. Yeah. Yes. And then obviously he was following Bodie for the past nine months. He did not stick around in LA, like being with Tyler, or whatever. And now he's throwing away his badge, like he's wandering off onto a beach in Australia. Like, who knows what this man is going to do with his life. But <clears throat> there will never be a day until he dies that he will not think of Bodie. Yeah. 
And not to get to uh, to in this essay, I will dot dot dot. But please do. Uh, Lost Boys was eighty seven. <laughs> Point Break ninety one. I mean, there's stuff going on here culturally with the AIDS crisis and like yeah. how we think about masculinity Ooh, yes. and like men bonding together. And um, you know, it's, I think it's even it's more explicit in Lost Boys because vampirism and blood and all that. But I both feel like they're coming from like a similar place of like cultural anxiety slash like fascination with like men forming potentially dangerous alternate modes of kinship. Um, and yeah. I will now doff my, my, my little women's studies cap. Uh, you know, just to um, tangentially mention women in this movie um, of whom there are, there are few, there is Tyler. There is like a bank teller who, you know, has to to lead them to the vault in the scene where everything goes to shit. And then there and are the two Nazi women, girls. the Nazi girls. And I love that scene because that is the only time in the movie in which we see women sort of more stereotypically sexually objectified, like you might expect, um, you know, minor women characters to be in a movie of this sort. The woman who opens the door and is arguing with with Pappas and not wanting to let him in is in lingerie. There's another woman uh, in the shower completely naked. But then (laughs) when the raid begins and everything starts to go wrong and, you know, Anthony Kiedis uh, shoots himself in the foot instead of doing anything useful, that naked woman in the shower beats the hell out of one of the cops. Like, just a naked lady in the shower. And I mean, I love that scene that it turns on a dime from, you know, this woman's in the shower, you can see a glimpse of titty, like it's a little bit, you know, titillating or whatever. And then she just goes fucking ham and like beats the hell out of like an armed, like, uh, you know, professional who's supposed to know how to fight. And I really enjoy that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What did we think of Tyler? Where have I seen Lori Petty She's so familiar. And I feel like I think this every time I watch Point Break and I have to look it up again. Let me pull it up. Oh, she was in Orange is the New Black. Oh, yeah. As who? Several seasons. Uh, Lolly White Hill. Oh, God. And of course, she was in Tank Girl. Born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Just a hop, skip, and a jump away from one Mm -hmm. one, uh, Johnny. Johnny Culp. Let's see. Was she also... I found her both very hot looking and also very uh, androgynous. Don't know what to make of that. I I do love, I want more of these types of people where it's like, yes, it's technically like a, a straight relationship, but I don't know, just make it queer looking. I don't know. It just, <laughs> it all looks, it all looks a little, a little queer. I love it. And also she, she was very hot. She definitely does I think come off she, as much more. Like, yeah, like, I, I mean, think obviously, that she was a very, you know, queer looking individual. Like, she's kind of, she's also a very fleshed, a relatively fleshed out character. Like, I enjoy the fact that he learned from her. And so it felt like very much they were on kind of even ground. It wasn't oh, that that's she so necessarily iconic at the beginning. Saving. Yeah. Like that feels, it's a little bit weird at the end when that happens because she seems so much more yeah. capable than him in so many ways for so long. And when she meets him, it's only because out of the goodness of her heart, she comes and picks up this fucko who's drowning and gets him back to the shore. And then he's like yelling at her like, my name's Johnny Utah. And she's like, 
who cares? Like, uh, I love it so much. What what does she tell him when she saves him? She's like, stick to gin rummy or like yeah. stick to She tells polo. him at one point to like keep playing tennis or something when oh, yeah. that's but that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> she has some good <laughs> lines. Which raises the prospect of a point break tennis edition where he, where the fbi agent has to go undercover i kind of wish that so roving tennis did bandits. either of you watch the remake in 2015 i thought about doing it and, and then watched the trailer and w- did not yeah. because it looks born out of like <laughs> the triple x style of filmmaking of like yeah. look how extreme this is i think is. sadie it was supposed to be like an x games one where they did like dirt bikes and stuff or something i don't oh my god oh. and they were like the bandits are not just robbing banks they're they try to add in like a geopolitical element it looks like where they're like <laughs> Going around the world, completing a checklist of like great dangerous feats, but Teresa in the process, like liberating villagers or something. <laughs> it has a had a budget of a hundred and five million dollars. Wait, why? Right. Original Point Break would like cost like twenty four million dollars to make. It had a or budget of one hundred and five million, getting that. <laughs> and it made a hundred and thirty three in the box office. Damn. Who saw this wow, movie? I love that. Because, <laughs> well, like, that that's a failure, like, box office-wise, yeah. if you spend 105 and get 133 back. So I just love that as an exercise in pointlessness, where they, like, did all of these huge stunts for three years trying to recreate the magic of Point Break and just ended up spending, like, a tenth of a billion dollars for for nothing. Where did let's see? Okay, nineteen ninety one Point Break was made for twenty four million, and then it had a worldwide total of like eighty three point five million um, while it was in theaters. Oh my god! <laughs> I have stumbled on a detail that will shatter you. Oh. It will destroy you. Please share. Oh my god! In the Point Break remake, before they cast Bodie, there was an actor who was initially in negotiations. To oh, take no. up the Patrick I'm Swayze so scared. mantle. I'm so Hold my hand, say his you. name, Gerard Butler. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. I cannot imagine no. more of an antithesis to everything that makes Bodhi sexy and alluring. Oh no! Can you imagine? Oh, Wait, what a if nightmare! If the philosophy wasn't just like was just like uh, ugly truth. <laughs> If Gerard Gerard Butler was just like... (laughs) Who would have been the Johnny Utah to Gerard Butler's Bodie? I can't even say that. Catherine Heigl. (laughs) (laughs) It should have been a Heigl. This should have been the ugly truth. Gerard Butler is like, hey, tits, you just got to loosen up and surf some waves. (laughs) And and Catherine Heigl is like... You know, you're right. But surfing waves is dumb. (laughs) I can't believe my girl Teresa Palmer was in this movie. Damn. I hope she got paid well for it out of that $105 million budget. (laughs) 
Wow. Uh, oh, this is, oh my fucking God. Guys, uh, <laughs> interjection here that I still have the Point Break 1991 Wikipedia page pulled up. And this is fucking hilarious that Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly was apparently all in his feels about Point Break 1991 and gave it a C plus because, quote, Point Break makes those of us who don't spend our lives searching for the ultimate physical rush feel like second class citizens. <laughs> oh my god i like damn what? <laughs> you think you need to he watched this and was like clearly if i'm not Bodie, i'm worthless and then gave it a c plus in entertainment weekly <laughs> i guess it's a reminder that like film critics like contemporaneously at least are kind of like weatherman weathermen you know like hello they seem oh. to have a hard time really kind of like getting it right like capturing the the consciousness of the time because you look back often at classic movie you can look back at like jurassic park and someone will be like you know boring a snooze fest <laughs> and it's like oh like one of the tightest constructed like movies of all time <laughs> um yeah i have i have several very funny letterboxed reviews and i would like to note that all of these gave <laughs> them five stars this one person says i know you want me so bad it's like acid in your mouth dude could you be any gayer and then someone else just wrote i feel so alive right now (laughs) and another person said seeing keanu reeves in a crop top felt like a religious experience And then the final two that I will read, one says, white boy summer, gave it five stars and a a super like. (laughs) And a second one, also five stars and a super like, just says, waves swooshing violently. I speaking of the wave noise, uh, that that was the only part that breaks total immersion for me is how they like ADR the dialogue into the surfing scenes after where where they don't try to like make it sound like they're outside. It's just like very clearly them like in a booth being like, whoa, the skydiving Keanu Reeves like, oh, shit, this is awesome. I'm skydiving right now. I really am. So I did in my reading today because I was I read a lot about the Swayze. Um, so Patrick Swayze obviously was an extremely physical individual. As we have already mentioned, he was a ballet dancer. Um, he got really into martial arts um, later on in life. After that, he you know he did Broadway dancing and stuff. So anyway, he got super into skydiving for this movie and actually got certified and performed a bunch of jumps. And then like the movie studio got mad at him and tried to make him stop doing it because like it was an insurance liability. He actually did that uh, that Adios Amigo jump at the you know near the end of the movie where he jumps and leaves Keanu Reeves on the plane before Johnny Utah dives out with no parachute. That is actually Swayze. So he was also Swayze himself was talking about how they. They did the scenes where they're talking to each other while they're in free fall because he was saying how, of course, that's ludicrous because if you've ever actually done it and been in free fall, you know that you can't talk to each other. All you hear is the wind roaring. But they were in like this simulated like 
thing where they were hung up by wires on harnesses, like getting free falled around, like with a bunch of like super high powered fans blowing on them when they were clutching each other. And yes, (laughs) Uh, you know, saying all that stuff to each other and embracing. Um, That is how it happened. Do we think that Catherine Bigelow, and I don't want to raise ethical questions here. Do we think she's ever had point break fantasies? Not like in a, in the workplace setting, but afterward with the film as a finished product. I mean, I don't know how you could have created a masterpiece this arresting without having at least a few fantasies going in. Like yeah. not in I mean, an that, inappropriate and, and this way, is like she was taking advantage right. of them or anything. But yes, <laughs> I think that she, she must have had this vision that she just so masterfully imparted to the rest of us. God, I need to search Point Break fanfic on AO3 and see what's out there. Yeah, I guess I'd like to, I'd like, I like the thought of it as, as a, a consciously horny film, you know, like people have given like Quentin Tarantino a pass for years for just like wanting to see his actress's feet, you know, dude just wants to see some feet. Um, and so, yeah, let Catherine Bigelow be horny. That's that's my takeaway. <laughs> from Let's see. Point break. Rolling Stone. <laughs> Rolling Stone called to, Point go ahead, Break. Go ahead, John. Oh, the greatest female gaze action movie ever. And they're right. I mean, <laughs> anybody who's, you know, has felt a sexual attraction to a male identified person will feel a stirring during this movie at some or probably multiple points. Swayze, what were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say that I went on to Archive of Our Own, and there are only 39 Uh, fanfics of Point uh, Break. Guys, we've got to get busy when we get done with uh, this recording today. The kids (laughs) are too young, Jen. Like (laughs) The first one that comes up... The first one that comes up is Johnny Utah slash me. Like, like the <laughs> is Johnny Utah with me. And then one of the tags says Godzilla versus Mothra, Kaiju, Kaiju, <laughs> FBI, <laughs> Sandcastles, <laughs> Wish Fulfillment, and Destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wait, as in like it's a point break retelling using Godzilla and Mothra instead of Johnny and Bodie? But it's Johnny and the author. (laughs) I think it may be set. Oh, it's just set against the backdrop of a kaiju conflict. (laughs) Yeah. Like Godzilla in the ocean forms the waves that Johnny is going to surf on. Oh my fucking God, Jen. Oh my god, that is so fucking genius. Because you know that's what Bodhi would be doing if like he and Godzilla intersected universes, for sure. This could be a six-hour masterwork after which all directors would have to retire because (laughs) cinema will have reached its apotheosis. Like Godzilla versus Kong slash Point Break remake. Where and like where it's like Kong and Johnny Utah are on one side of like law and order and humanity and Godzilla and Bodhi (laughs) 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 (laughs)
represent the majesty of Bodhi nature and, and queerness. And surfs out to his friend Godzilla every day and gives him secret <laughs> intel. <laughs> Tears oh leaking out God. of my eyes. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little prepped already. Okay, so obviously Point Break is one of my favorite movies. I have seen it a number of times, but it is one that I get a little bit hesitant to commit to a full rewatch of, you know? It's not a movie that you can just put on casually in the background because it's just too, like the adrenaline, it sucks me in every time. I get full body chills every time Johnny Utah dives out of the airplane. I get full body chills every time Bodhi is trying to get up on the wave at the end that's going to kill him. You know, uh, it just makes me emotional. And I feel like if we just brought Godzilla into that, it could be transcendent. Yeah, no, put it on every streaming service, every channel of every TV, nonstop for like two weeks and then cease broadcast. (laughs) Like human entertainment (laughs) is over. Sadie, what did you cry during Point Break? We didn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just I was just thinking about what I knew was going to happen, which is that Bodhi was going to tragically swim out into the nothingness waves. Um and it was during and around the scene where Johnny is about to shoot Bodhi, but then he can't bring himself to do it. And he shoots at the air. And then later they're like discussing it. And I don't know, man, something I was, <laughs> I was just started crying. And then I collected myself. And then I started crying again at the end. <laughs> Damn, what a you know, perfect you, way I also, to... I got a little teary to got to hand it to Laurie Petty when Tyler finds out that Johnny is an FBI agent yeah. and correctly deduces that he fed her a line of bullshit about his parents being dead. Oh, damn. That this really heart-wrenching scene and she plays it so like believably like shrieking and upset you know instead of it it doesn't come off as scene chewing as it could have somehow even though she is like shaking and hollering and holding a gun on him like it comes off as more believable to me than i don't know some lesser written you know compulsory heterosexual lady just stuck in the movie who's just like oh you betrayed me whatever what and you know disappears like (laughs) god have either of you seen hot fuzz I have not. I it's have Simon seen Pegg, Hot right? Fuzz. Yeah, it's Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. They famously, it's a buddy action movie, and they famously watch Point Break <laughs> together. And uh, I, the scene they choose to show in the film is the like Reagan climbing the fence, uh. Uh, gun come <laughs> shot. <laughs> um, Young, dumb, and full of cum, but not bullets because he fired them all out. In that scene. Yeah. He's spent. <laughs> he, uh, like the people of Sodom, has spilled his seed on the ground, you know? Now, I'm going to ask um, you both a was serious that Sodom question. Onan? Anyway. Who? I can't answer this question. Um, I have a serious question to ask you, which is, do we think that Keanu Reeves was a good actor 
in this movie. I think Keanu Reeves is a good actor, and I don't mean that ironically. Yeah, I think he's one of those actors who, like Nicolas Cage, has gotten a rap as being a bad actor because people just like to say, yeah. whoa, which is like, uh, but he he knows what he's doing and he's making the choices to do it, you know? I don't think he ever seems like lost or like he doesn't fit or he's not there. Though I must say, I do think it is hysterical that there there's a theatrical version of Point Break um, back in like the mid, in the 20 teens, um, pre-pandemic, in which <laughs> they would select a random audience member to play the role of Johnny Utah in every showing so that whoever is Johnny Utah has that kind of like, whoa, oh my God. on the planet. What the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> and they just have like, I guess like prompt screens for them to do the line readings. And then everybody else like acts around them. <laughs> oh my God, I, I want that. to go see it I, well, so bad. <laughs> the reason why I ask is that people, I feel like always talk about how great, Patrick Swayze is in the movie, but I always feel like reviews of Keanu's acting in it is divisive. I personally, there were parts where I was like, oh, I feel like Patrick Swayze is like stealing the show, whatever. And then there are certain parts also where I'm like, Keanu Reeves is the best fucking actor in the business. And I was just swinging (laughs) back and forth the whole time. I feel like, I mean, and this was such a perfect, God, just Swayze at that point in his life and career, like he just, he ate this and left no crumbs. But (laughs) maybe he he shared a meatball sandwich a little, he let let, uh, Keanu Reeves (laughs) have a nibble. Um, (laughs) But I can kind of, in a weird alternate universe, see Keanu when he was a bit older, uh, being able to, do a good spin on Bodhi for somebody else's young, dumb Johnny Utah. Yeah, he has a feminine vulnerability in this film that I think anyone just like focusing on what they perceive as wooden line readings or something like is totally ignoring. Like, I I think it takes some skill as an actor and like a certain kind of look and affect to be able to do that. Like, like I'm totally entranced by this, like this other guy kind of like thing that, that he's doing. And he depicts pretty well being torn between like, I don't know, law order slash Bodhi chaos. Um, Like laugh all you want at the gun scene or whatever, but like, I, I think he sells it. I don't know. Yeah. He, I mean, it, it's like you you laugh because it's so ridiculous, but then also it literally made Sadie cry. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, I like him when he plays, uh, his accent is terrible, but I like him in The Devil's Advocate a lot too. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. Keanu is, he's done a lot of great stuff. You know, I was actually saying to Justin last night, we started watching this together, that the one, uh, the big Keanu role that I have never seen before, and surprisingly to me, Justin has never seen before, so I guess we'll have to watch it sometime, is Speed. Oh my God, a classic. Yeah, and I've never seen it. Like, I mean, I I get the, the gist, like what happens, but obviously I need to witness it with my own eyes. Well, shall we quickly say who we'd pair people with? I, I can I can say, of course, 
gotta go Johnny and Bodie. Yeah. Um, I want like doomed, I want but so hot. Like it would be amazing. I want Busey to be forever married to uh, Meatball Sub. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, Tyler. You know, I I hope she finds someone who's not Johnny Utah. Tyler who doesn't lie to her. needs somebody queerer. And I mean, Johnny is yeah. pretty queer in this movie, but less into the into Tyler way and more into the into Bodie way. Um, yeah, Tyler, Tyler needs like, I don't know, just a super awesome, like uh, edging on butch styling non-binary surfer or something like she clearly I don't know yeah. what like. Besides just the necessity of having like a girl character surfer. or a high fam. Oh my God. Tyler could really get with a high fam. I could see that as well. She would be like rolling her eyes at her girlfriend taking so long to get ready and stuff, but secretly she would love it. You know, I could, I could really see oh, that. Jen, you're painting the fantasy for me. You're painting it. I'm nope. seeing it. I'm loving it. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, I like, agree oh. completely with everything that Samantha said. Like Johnny Bodie, obviously, but the cat and mouse game, we would, as Jen said, not have killing Eve if there were no point break. It's perfect. It's perfect. And of course, Tyler with a woman, of course. Yeah. Tyler, like, that's why, well, you know, not to get all like, you know, speculative about fictional characters and there, but we have been pointing out like the the great appeal of uh, these two, you know, men who are locked in this toxic masculinity alpha standoff thing and what makes this movie work so much is that they are both men who really can have like a feminine essence too. both Bodie and Johnny Utah and those are the two men that Tyler is into and maybe one day she'll just meet a woman instead of like a surfer man and there won't be any crime or FBI involvement and she'll just have a really happy life with somebody who takes care of her and doesn't make up lies about their parents being dead to try to seduce her. Yeah. Any other alternate pairings, folks? <sighs> Let's see. It's I mean, I was going to try to swing a little say. like old married couple like thing with Papas, but it, he he's married to his meatball subs. He really is. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's so amazing. Oh my God, though. You guys are I- seeing Gary Busey again. I have to say as an aside here. So while we were making the drive out here and then it's been a little bit off and on since, but I have been steadily reading Dune to Justin out loud because he has never experienced the text, only the, um, you know, the edited David Lynch version. And before the Timothée Chalamet version comes out, um, I wanted Justin to actually hear the real Dune, which is hysterical. It is like just an absolutely ridiculous soap opera in which everybody in their own minds thinks that they are the coolest person of all time, uh, except for Paul, of course, who everybody everybody else thinks is also the coolest person of all time. And he also thinks that about himself. But on this go round of reading it, somehow I cannot stop picturing the character of Gurney Halleck, the the warrior poet with the ink vine scar on his face, who's always like playing his little mandolin thing and singing a tune as Gary Busey playing the role. And now I fear I have doomed myself to disappointment because whoever is going to play it in the upcoming movie is not going to be Gary Busey. And I don't think I'm ever going to be able to unimagine that in my head. 
What if that's Is Zendaya? Is he dead? I don't know. Uh, well, she's Chani, so I mean, I would not mind seeing I don't know who Zendaya in several are. roles in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hang on. Is Gary Busey dead? Busy. Do you remember, Jen, briefly in, like, the the oddies, there was a Gary Busey reality show? I had completely... Oh, first of all, Gary Busey is still alive. He is 77 years old, and he lives in Texas. What? Um, <laughs> what? It was called still I'm with living? Busey. I had completely forgotten about that. He apparently is. Wow. Wait, he has a Twitter. Damn. Oh, my God, you guys. I... So I don't know if anyone else. He has a Twitter. He's on Cameo too. Samantha, for your birthday, I'm gonna get you a shout out from Gary Busey. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm terrified to be seen by him. (laughs) Fortunately, it will be an asymmetrical interaction. All right, friends, I am going to give Point Break. I had to do it. Five out of five meatball subs. (laughs) Classic of the form. For all the reasons we've discussed. I'm going to give Point Break all six of the shots that Johnny Utah in frustration and pain fired into the air rather than into Bodhi's body as he escaped in the Reagan mask. I am going to give it five puka shell necklaces out of five. I love this movie. (laughs) It's so good. It's it's just everything everything is perfect. I I want to watch it again tonight. I love it. That's all I have to say. Perfect romantic comedy. Perfect. Jen, what what exhilarating adrenaline pumping adventures should people take us on? Look, if you want to feel the rush, first I suppose you should listen to this episode of our podcast and then if you are listening on a platform where you can leave us a rating, you should give us a big old five stars like we all just gave Point Break, except that I gave it a six stars, which I don't think that you can do on Apple Podcasts, unfortunately. And if you want to talk to us more and agree with us about how amazing Point Break is, you can find us on Twitter at YSSTOG, or you can write out like, if you want to write that long form comparison between Point Break and The Lost Boys and email it to us, you can do that at yssTOGpodcast at gmail.com. And furthermore, if you want to help bankroll our streaming of all these films that we watch weekly for your entertainment with our discussion, you can back us at Patreon at patreon.com slash YSSTOG and gain access to our Discord server where we like to talk about stuff like this and, oh, The Bachelor, because Samantha, I have more to talk to you about on that front. And then we won't be forced to wear ugly rubber president masks and rob banks. (laughs) (laughs) Which I would love to do. You never hit the ball. Never go for the ball. (laughs) Never. Never touch the vault. If there's any like moral to, to this lovely, movie. wonderful Patreons, please. Thank you. I would like to read off the names of Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, and Liz. We love you all so much. We would love to have you in our ex-presidents mad surfing gang in LA, please. You guys are right up there with Gromit, Roach, and Nathaniel. We love you. <laughs> We love you, but don't you fucking touch that vault. Don't, <laughs> don't touch do it. Not even vault. if we say to. 
Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Their fatal okay. mistake, listening you, to Bodhi in that you moment. You can touch the vault, Dad. <laughs> no, go ahead and touch the vault. Well, wait, go ahead, touch it. Touch the fucking vault. <laughs> touch the vault. Touch Patrick Swayze's hair. I mean, I got kind of like a, a very modified <laughs> shag last month. <laughs> and he is making me want to go into like bordering on mullet shag territory. Like, Do it. Jen. Go skydiving. Oh, I mean, Get a fucking mullet. <laughs> Jen. Get this is the equivalent. <laughs> I'm going to get a mullet. This is I'm going to learn how to surf. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be amazing. You getting a mullet and, and doing extreme sports <laughs> is you touching your your personal ball. <laughs> yeah, me doing. I feel like, mm, I mean, have, have you guys ever surfed? Absolutely. I uh, know. I've, I've bodyboarded. Yeah. I used to, I've, I've I used to bodyboard a lot when I was a kid and my papa taught me how to body surf, which is basically like, uh, you know, like boogie boarding without the boogie board, but it became like incredibly less appealing. Like once I hit puberty and started to wear two pieces to the beach and also my vision is terrible and I really didn't want to risk like washing out my contacts, you know? So, yeah, I think extreme sports may be my personal going for the vault, which I just don't do. But I may get like a shaggy yeah, mullet and don't think about it. <laughs> I'll take like some cute Instagram pics that look like I'm doing something sporty. It's okay to think about touching the vault. You just don't, don't touch, touch the vault. it. 90 seconds only. In and out. Cash drawers only. 